I am Gracutus of Borg. We wish to improve ourselves. Your culture will adapt to service ours. Gen Alpha is irrelevant. TikTok is irrelevant. BTS is irrelevant. Your life, as it has been, is over. From this time forward, you will feel as old as us. Resistance is futile. <laughs> Welcome to Reengage, where we watch every episode of the sci-fi series Star Trek: The Next Generation and reengage with the show from the perspective of adult storytellers. Today, we're talking about the season finale episode of season three and the first cliffhanger in Star Trek history, The Best of Both Worlds Part One. And I'm very excited to welcome my fellow cultural bridge officers to discuss how Riker plays it safe. We will get into everything and say hello, Eric Gratton. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are all of you? But first and foremost, Greg, we can move it right along to the next. <laughs> Hi, Jimmy. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing very well, but I disagree. Uh, BTS will never be irrelevant. They are dynamite. They are dynamite. <laughs> it's true. Kate Yeager. How are you doing? Hello. I am so excited to finally get to this episode. I feel like these last three years have been leading up to this moment. For sure. Uh, this is where it all comes to a head. It is, of course, the best of both worlds. Stardate 43989.1. It aired a few weeks after the last episode on June 18th. 1990. Some things were going on uh, around there. We're not going to do too much detail on this just because we got so much to talk about in this episode. But on June 14th in the Philippines, there was an earthquake, the Panay earthquake, that measured 7.1 on the Richter scale. And it was uh, not great, killing eight people and injuring 41. Tragedy for that area. The defending champion Detroit Pistons beat the Portland Trailblazers also on that day in Game 5 for back-to-back -back titles. No one really Woo! enjoyed the Detroit Pistons except for Eric. Loved them Pistons, bad boys. Yeah, yeah I was a big Pistons fan in high school, actually. They oh, were... Yeah. The best? The best slash uh, most likely to get into a fight. Yeah. Isaiah Thomas won the MVP there, and these two wins by the Detroit Pistons were the, you know, kind of the end of the 80s here uh, and led to the Chicago Bulls' ascendance in the 90s. You're making the Pistons win about the Bulls? It is. Come it is on. about the Bulls. That's what I remember. Come on. Give oh. Joe Dumars the respect he deserves. Well, I'm going to go play Bill Lambeer's basketball on my... NES after this. <laughs> a lot of just standing up and throwing your arms in weird directions. <laughs> On June 20th, two days after this aired, Nelson Mandela made his first tour uh, and stop in the United States in New York City. He was received with open arms by the city, including Mayor Dinkins, who gave him the key to the city. I didn't realize this at the time, but New York was one of the few communities that really rallied around and protested in uh, support of ending apartheid in South America and the freeing of Nelson Mandela. And uh, he received a ticket tape parade. He had a ceremony at Yankee Stadium. It was a big to do. Oh, yeah. Of course, then Billy Joel had a concert in Yankee Stadium directly after that, which just tarnished everything. So much hate today, Greg. I oh, love I'm it. Sorry, I actually really love Billy Joel. So I just spicy. I just don't like the Yankees so much. <laughs> anyway, moving on to pop culture, Kate. What was happening? Well, we missed a, a week in between the last episode and this. So, in the music world, we missed "Hold On" by Wilson. 
Phillips, wow. uh, which is just a classic. Uh, but the number one song this week was It Must Have Been Love by Roxette. It must have been love, but it's over now. It must have been oh, yeah, good, Roxette. but I lost it somehow. Oh, it's that video. With uh, I just remember that singer had amazing hair. <laughs> I love "Hold On To." By the way, I just want oh, yeah, right? for some reason that is the memory of that video with the three women on the car oh. like singing. It, it was cemented in my like memories along with Star Trek: The Next Generation for some reason. I don't know why. No mm-hmm. relation whatsoever, but maybe it was because we were all paying attention to Star Trek this week. Maybe. On the movie front, we missed another 48 hours being the number one movie. Nice. And this week, uh, it was Dick Tracy. And oh. everyone remembers that that happened. <laughs> that was a big deal. <laughs> was a big deal. They made a huge, like, that was a that was a swing and a miss with that movie. Because I remember there was a lot of tie-ins. and I liked it. No, I mean, but it didn't do well. No, it did not. It was a flop. And a lot of people throw around, you know, that movies are great because they liked them when they were kids and stuff. But I'll, I'll fight people on Dick Tracy. I think it's just about a masterpiece. I fucking love it. It is a good uh, one. I mean, Al Pacino doing his shtick actually worked. Like, I was like, yeah, of course. I also won't be here for the Al Pacino hate today, Greg. <laughs> He does great and different stuff. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, I just disagree left and right. In the fashion slash legal news world, which of course there is a crossover, uh, Florida oh, yeah. passed a law prohibiting the wearing of thong bathing suits. Hmm. That's what I think of when I think of Florida. Uh, yeah, but not back then, apparently. Cisco is upset. Wow. And then uh, finally, uh, awards. The TV Guide selected Arsenio Hall, the TV personality of the year. And uh, and Little Richard got a star on the Walk of Fame. About time. <laughs> well, no shit. Time. That's late. Yeah, it is yeah. late. For sure. And that's what was happening in pop culture. Eric, I'm going to go to you and find out about the, the fun, amazing guest stars. We got definitely one that seems to steal a spotlight from the beginning. A thousand percent. I want to briefly talk about George Murdoch, who plays the Admiral, uh, the Admiral first, because he's from Salina, Kansas, and then he died. <laughs> because I also uh, was born in Kansas, uh, though I do not yet share the second part of his biography. Uh, he did 200 and some... Uh, different projects on IMDb, really incredible stuff all the way back to things like the Untouchables, uh, genre stuff that we all loved growing up, like Battlestar Galactica, that we all thought lasted longer than 30-some episodes, but it didn't. They were just repeated every Sunday morning and made me think that it was much longer-lasting series than it originally was. R.I.P. George Murdoch. We skip directly to, as Greg said, the person who steals most of the spotlight in this particular episode from the guest stars, and that is Lieutenant Commander Shelby, as played by Elizabeth Dennehy. Uh, I'm sorry to bring it up first. She's a fantastic actor in her own right, but she is the daughter of uh, royalty Brian Dennehy, who we all know and love. She herself has a fantastic resume, including Romeo and Juliet, where she plays Montague, as I believe her father did two decades before her, right around this same time, just a few years after this. Tons and tons of television, Rizzoli and Isles, uh, Masters of Sex, Young and the Restless, The Mentalist, Hancock is a freaking movie that I actually love. Roll on Charmed to show some more genre 
credits. She was in Red Dragon. She was in the last TV movie of Murder, She Wrote. Shows like Judging Amy, Gideon's Crossing, Chicago Hope, Gattaca. Again, we get into the genre stuff and the game. Really fantastic in this episode. Excellent. Love her performance in this. Jimmy, there's a lot to be said about this episode as far as technical as well as backstage. What's happening? Yeah, so as you said, this uh, was the first cliffhanger. Michael Hiller had the privilege of being the writer for that. Uh, And he had been wanting to reintroduce the Borg all season. So it had been percolating in his mind how he could bring that species back. Ironically, he was, uh, or perfect timing, he was actually in his own contract negotiation and didn't know what he wanted to do. And that sort of informed his writing of Riker not knowing exactly what he wanted to do. And he actually had those conversations in his head that Riker had with Troy. Wondering, why am I still here? What am I doing? Just being a writer. Uh, and he's like, I love it. That's why I'm here. Um, and coming to terms with being happy where he was, in which he would stay for several more years. Originally in the script, Pillar had Data and Bacard being, quote, Borgified in, in becoming one unit. And for whatever reason, they went away from that. There's a couple, uh, there's several different little shuttle names that are dropped in the episode, but the most interesting one was the Melbourne, or not a shuttle, that's a, a ship, and that's the one that Riker was offered the command of. You might remember the Melbourne is one of the ships that gave chase to the Bionars in uh, episode 11001001. Continuity thing, uh, also another continuity is you see the uh, Riker's trombone in his quarters when you come in. And then, a la the Simpsons comic book guy, are we to believe that Riker and Shelby can egress from the main bridge to the battle bridge by way of the forward turbo lift instead of direct connection to starboard? I think not. <laughs> <laughs> and then after this episode aired, we know it was indeed a cliffhanger. Rumors abounded that Paramount and Patrick Stewart uh, had stalled in their contract negotiations to renew him coming back to TNG in the er- very early days before there was you know, social media, there was all kinds of buzz and rumors going around that he was going to be written off the show, or there was a very strong possibility that Picard wasn't coming back. Nobody knew, you know, like what's going to happen with Shelby. Did she die going to save him? Was going to go with Riker. Uh, and this all led to Paramount doing its first ever social media campaign specifically for one episode of TNG. And that was for the, uh, seasons four debut episode, Best of Both Worlds Part Two, where they were all out media blitz on this coming back. And it was sort of the, this was the moment where TNG really came into its own truly, where it kind of surpassed TOS. A lot of TOS fans actually got on board after this episode. And there was a huge amount of buzz about the show coming back into its fourth season. And that's it for the Nemesic Files. Let's crack this baby open. Let's crack it open. But I want to just talk a little bit about the director. It's Cliff Bowl, who we've seen many times mm-hmm. in the past. He had directed 25 episodes of TNG, seven of Deep Space Nine, 10 of Voyager. He's a veteran 
Uh, by this time, we've already seen, I think, four or five episodes of him that he had directed so far for TNG. So he came in, he did both of these, the part one and part two. He is the director that Will Wheaton actually said kind of moved him around very forcibly. And that's the only complaint I've seen about this guy. He just seems to be a, a lifer in the Star Trek universe. And he says his experience doing these two episodes were basically the highlight of his career because of how much fun he had with the entire crew and working on this story. So good for him. And then as you mentioned, Michael Pillar went on to work with Ronald D. Moore on Deep Space Nine and was one of the co-creators of Voyager. So this also, he was he was having this existential moment, as Jimmy mentioned, and then he went on to be like, yeah, no, I think I want to stick around with this crew and this franchise, just like Riker did. Very cool. All right. So this episode opens with a very, very short cold open, but it's a extremely, I don't know, like an important one. Everyone kind of knew that the stakes were going to be really high as soon as they get to the planet that is called something. Dust Rockingham. Jorit 4. <laughs> That's the, yeah, responding to a distress signal. And then we get Riker, Data, Worf, and Jordy. They're confirming with O'Brien, are we in the right place? Because it doesn't seem we're in the right place. We're supposed to be in this town called New Providence, which is hopefully better than Providence, Rhode Island. Sorry, I'm not hating on Providence, Rhode Island. So I love hatred. Providence, Rhode Island. It's a great place. Just, uh, insult the comic <laughs> podcast host. <laughs> this is it. I, just, I might as well just have a puppet of a dog right now. Uh, have you heard of Providence? It's awful. It's run by the mob. <laughs> Anywho, that town is gone. New Providence does not exist anymore. It's a hole. It's a very beautiful looking matte painting of a hole. Greg, I thought about you when I saw that matte painting. I did. I was like, oh, Greg is going to love this matte painting. It's so good. <laughs> it really is. And it's a big fucking hole. And you can see that they put budget behind this episode from the beginning. It doesn't have any of the weird, you know, special effects. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, no, that looks good. Yeah, the walls don't shake when you close a door. Like, this this one, <laughs> they cared about this one. And the score kind of, you know, you get the sense that this is going to be uh, something of importance from the get-go. Credits roll, and then we get introduced to our really fun foils here in Picard's Ready Room. We see the Admiral, who we mentioned. This guy, uh, I w w was really excited because he plays one of the visages of God in the Final Frontier, uh, Star Trek V. And once you see that, you can't unsee it. So I apologize for you all there. Briefing with uh, Shelby, we, we meet her and see that she's a, uh, a tactical officer who's been studying the Borg. And then you see Riker and her kind of already at odds. If I may, when I saw the Admiral for the first time watching this, I'm like, God, he looks... He reminds me of the cigarette smoking guy for some reason. Mm. And then I looked him up and he's one of the elders uh, who's always talking oh. to the cigarette smoking guy on the X-Files too. He's got some chops. That tracks. Mm. What did you think of the introduction of Shelby here, Kate? I love it. I love Shelby. I love this introduction. I love that there's already, you're, you're right. It's like, well, based on what Shelby has seen and then Riker's like, yes, well, also my, me too. I also saw that, but first, it's no yeah. big deal. And even when they're like inviting the Admiral to go play poker with them. And then he's like, well, Shelby could play. Riker doesn't even say anything. Nothing. He makes it so awkward. Nothing. He's just like, hmm, hmm, could Shelby do that? Yeah, he like almost gives her like a sneer. Like he like, eh, all right, whatever. And then he walks out the door. I was like, what the hell? Clown. It's great. But it's typical, right? Like Riker is different in this episode than he is in any other episode. It's like he's a whole new Riker and they've taken the Riker and put it into Shelby. Like it's, it doesn't add up to the Riker we've seen before. Canon. But, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> they Borgified. 
being Borgified. <laughs> well, I mean, it also lends credence to the idea that this is not a Picard episode, even though that's that's the image that we take away from this is Locutus of Borg. It's not really about him at all. It's really Riker is the main character in this episode, and you see it from here. I do have to say that while I love the introduction of Shelby, I didn't love that the moment she leaves, it turns into a gross old white man's fantasy. Where he's like, oh, oh right. she's something, right? And Picard, oh, you're very taken. Oh, it's just an old. No, no, fuck yeah. you, fuck you. Cut a million it. ways to 2022, where we are now. Like, I just right. I can't. I can't. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that was awful. Well, I mean, and in contrast, I like that that is not really the dynamic going forward. Like Riker and her have a conflict, but it's not tinged with. Uh, Will you they know. or won't they? Well, yeah, exactly. So yes, they, she, he takes her to her, his quarters and then they have like a little bit of a, of, a, of a back and forth about going to the poker game, get more of Riker's situation that he's been offered uh, a commission. He's probably going to turn it down again because he hadn't even mentioned it to Picard yet. I love the way he's brought up because she's, she's very open about, oh, I, uh, I'm here to take your job. It, it doesn't even, it doesn't come across as pushy. It just like, she believes that he's already gone. Like, why wouldn't you be gone? Like you... This is what you're here for, to climb the ladder. When he doesn't agree, that then there's... I, I I totally see why she's like, oh, you're not who I thought you were or who I heard you were. You're, mm. There's something really tepid about you now. <laughs> and it's it's uh, it creates a really fun dynamic. Right, where you think he's going to be full of ambition, like that's kind of his reputation, but why is he not accepting it, right? It is an interesting dynamic going on here which we see on uh, display in the poker game. Well, leading into the poker game, there's that great moment where he sizes her up because he's read something in what she's said or done and then says, poker game, my room, 1700. <laughs> like, like, that's badass. I'm like, come to my 5 p.m. poker game. I'll knock you down a peg or two. And then the very next words you hear at the poker game are from young Wesley Crusher. So you know it's a badass poker game. <laughs> I'm like, Riker, come on, man. Right. You still be using that tone about your nickel pot poker game with Data and Wesley. <laughs> no shit, man. What about the poker game in itself? Like, they think the Borg are around. You don't got time to play fucking poker. You need to be... Hands that like 24 seven, all you're doing is thinking about the Borg. Cause the last time you met him, they're gonna fuck you up. Counterpoint, Richard Nixon said he paid for his first political run with the money he won from poker games from the night before D-Day. <laughs> I don't know if using Richard Nixon as a counterpoint <laughs> is like, uh, yeah. legit I'm or even saying. speaks well of the, yeah. the conversation. <laughs> speaks of the culture of the military. <laughs> so aggressive. I I love that Wesley Crusher's there though. Like he's got his you know fancy uniform. He gets to feel like a big boy, and then they immediately make fun of him. Even Data gets like even a little Data. shot at him. It's inappropriate for the, you to be asking that question, like Wesley. The new guy shouldn't speak up yet. He's so crestfallen, too. He's like, oh, Data thinks I'm a jerk. Well, it's okay. Later on, they make Data not understand the term the early bird gets the worm. So they, they yeah. give him a little bullshit moment, too. Yeah. yeah. I love this little war of wills between Shelby and Riker. You know, as soon as Wes bows out, you know, with his with his cards and and she calls his bluff it's just again it's just a really beautiful moment and she's so confident and she's so like whatever i mean what's the skin off my nose i'm gonna i'm gonna feel you out which feels like a real like 
boundary testing too, right? Like I'm going to be the new kid and I'm going to come in and I'm going to test out the commanding officer. All right. I love Jordy's kind of like cheerleading throughout this whole thing too, of being like, oh, she got you. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's like, you know, he's he's the voice of the audience a little bit, almost like being like, we're seeing what what you're seeing. Uh, Riker's on his heels a little bit. So then next morning, they beam down to the surface of the planet to look for this Borg footprint that Shelby has determined, this kind of subspace thing. But she went down there early and Riker is peeved. I love they say on whose authority and he says her own. Oh, come on. I that 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 was amazing. Right. Because Riker's in a weird position because he doesn't outrank her. Like They're at the same rank, so he can't really do the dressing down that he wants to. That's why he's always like, let's have a private conversation so that we can set the table a little bit each time, Mike. It's nice that O'Brien can even give a little bit of attitude back to him with that. Like, you can't get mad at me for following an order from someone who's the same rank as you. Right. Like, it, it, it's a nice bit all the way through. They do have that conversation. Riker tries to get the conflict out, being like, what's going on? Like, you can't just preempt this away mission. You put people at risk without me. She kind of just takes it. She's kind of like, yeah, okay, fine. Not only does she take it, but she holds her own with like, there was a storm. What was I going to do? Like, wait? And then, you know, she's sort of like, oh, I'm so sorry that you thought I would be in trouble with me and Data. And if it was the Borg, you know, you two would just be toast along with the rest of us. I just love the fact that for everything that he kind of gets on her, she's like, cool, cool, counter argument. (laughs) By the way, no, I don't think that's true. Right. (laughs) So I didn't like that. And it was because I grew up in the military Mm. and I saw the interaction between real military people. And like the story I always go back to is, we drove 30 minutes to get a new identification card for me. My dad had forgot his hat. And he was scared to death of even stepping foot outside of the car because if any officer saw him without a hat, he could get an Article 15, which would be a permanent mark on his record. And it could bar him from reenlistment and staying in the Army. Like, mm-hmm. the the protocol is real. Uh, and this happened to me personally in, in college when we did A Few Good Men. And the director decided to take liberties with how the people would interact with one another, uh, specifically having the um, Tom Cruise character not refuse to come to attention when the, um, what you call it, the general comes in, which you can't do. It doesn't matter what your moral feeling is at the moment. If you don't stand, you go to jail. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a punishable offense. And <laughs> they're all everything she does is... It does. It's a reasonable argument, but it's an argument from a civilian writing for a world that they obviously don't understand because those just don't hold water. Because it's the protocol is you wait for me. There's no argument beyond that. It's it's an open and shut case. Right. Just you can't. So it's like I understand like that's not no, no, yeah. that's that's not interesting <laughs> from a TV standpoint, but it just always gets under my skin a little bit. It's like uh, could you have maybe. I think that's why Riker says walk with me. Like he wants to have this conversation in private so that they can keep the protocols intact, at least for now, until the conflict comes a little bit more. I also wanted to note that like we've been talking about in these first few seasons about how Roddingberry didn't want conflict amongst people within Starfleet. Like somehow conflict doesn't exist in the 24th century. Right. They kind of threw that away with this uh, with this plot. Right. They're basically like, no, these are two officers who are vying for each other and vying for who's got the right authority. It doesn't come to blows or anything like that, but it does. It, it's it seems to be contrary to what Roddenberry has been saying and pushing for this entire time, which I liked because it made it interesting. Yeah. 
They do in fact find that it was the Borg. All doubts are thrown to the wind. No more poker games after this. But then of course, Riker does go into the ready room to talk over Shelby. And Riker's very complimentary. He's like, she's, she's great. She's got the information that we need. I enjoy working with her. She does need a little bit of steering here and there. And that's where Picard plants the seed of like, well, she sounds like, she sounds like you, dude. <laughs> How you used to be last episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you changed. Yeah. It's interesting because he says uh, it's such a soft, uh, like a, what do you call it? Backhanded. Uh, he says she takes initiative too often. Uh, which is, mm -hmm. you know, like sort of a, a fancy way of saying like, mm, I don't like the way she doesn't listen to me. <laughs> She's not asking her for my permission enough, which doesn't seem like enough of a thing. But then they go on to talk about his reluctance to take these captaincies. I like how Picard is just frank here. He's like, what are you, what are you doing here? The, the, the phrase, the Enterprise will get along just fine without you and the kindness with which it is said. Like, I feel like every artistic professional needs to have a mentor say, say that to them sometime. I think it is so useful to have that level of support while at the same time pushing them out of the nest <laughs> a little bit. Not just like it's okay to fall, but you should fall. It's, it's a lovely moment. Yeah. What were you going to say, Kate? Uh, that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but less eloquently. <laughs> no. And then Riker is like, are you asking me to leave? Like, are you, I mean, is this an order? And are he's you like, breaking up with me? Yeah, it's kind of a little bit like, it's not you, it's me. And then he has that moment with Troy directly after in Town Forward, where he goes through, this is where Pillar, the writer, said this was basically his conversation with himself about whether he should move on or not. And uh, I thought that was very, very honest. It's a good scene for that reason. Yeah, she says to him, are, uh, is it being afraid of the big chair? And to me, I, I just started to think, like, how big a chair are we talking here? Because Is this Lily Tomlin big? Because, like, there is a size of a chair that would scare me, probably. <laughs> <laughs> the Iron Throne, perhaps? That's a big chair. I love that this conversation is between the two of them. Yeah. Because who else could it be, right? Like, he could have had this conversation with a million different people, but this is the most effective from a storytelling point of view because she's able to say i've i've never seen you this happy and i used to smush you so i <laughs> you know i've seen you happy <laughs> and you know like and also just the loving way where she says no no you're seasoned you're just you're just more mature like i feel like i've had that conversation with myself. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, don't ever say that to a man. I was like, well, that's, that's nothing wrong with that, buddy. Wait, this, that's when you realize like Riker is like, what, 29 in this? <laughs> right. Like, I think when we were younger, we thought of him as, the, as this old, old man, but he's not. He's actually relatively young. No, that's us. Yes, we're, we're the yes. old men now. <laughs> And I like I like his lines about like I used to be like impetuous. I used to be like brave. I used to be like an asshole. I like those things about me. Last episode. Last episode. I was just like that. <laughs> then they're in engineering, getting a briefing. This is where Wesley Crusher gets to have some fun little interjections here, debating about how they're gonna do anything against the Borg with the technology that they currently have. They were working on plans for weapons. We thought we had 24 months. Looks like we have zero months. Uh, so what can we do with what we got? But they're all tired. I think even uh, Jordy's like, I don't know, ma'am. I, I, can't, I can't do anything because my brain is mush. <laughs> That's where Riker calls, the, calls a break. 
And Shelby's like, but I can work with data because he doesn't need to sleep. And this is where I think protocols do actually get broken here, where she's like trying to countermand his direct orders in public in the front of engineering. What did you think about that change to their dynamic here? I didn't like it. Not one bit. Still, still didn't like it. I was just pleased that in the 24th century, we recognize the importance of self-care. And like legitimately, like that that is a legitimate, like you're no good to me when you're this loopy, right? Like, and yes, data could keep going, but what about you, Shelby? What about you? Drink your juice, Shelby. (laughs) What about you, dad? (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Well done. But they do go to sleep. He dismisses her. He's just like, nope, we're doing this. We're sleeping time. They meet again in the observation lounge. I love a good conference room scene. And that's where Admiral Hansen has a phone call with them and tells them that the USS Lalo Salamanca um, no, it's just Lala. Uh, that they are uh, dis- distress signal came in, a cube-shaped ship. And everyone like perks up when they hear that. They're like, oh, fuck, cube-shaped. We know what that means. On screen. Yeah, the Admiral is very un... Like, he's like, it's happening. And prepare your, your stuff. Gird your loins. Gird your loins. It's awesome. This is where it really kicks in because you can feel the fear and it's just brilliant acting and it's built up perfectly where you feel it like oh is that what it's like if you're in a war situation or something where you're like you have to be brave but you're fucking scared shitless like this is insurmountable odds like you can't win this fight but you have to do the fight and it was like oh like i was like this is awesome like it was delicious how how scared everybody felt. It was like, man, I wish I would get a heart attack if TV was always this heightened where like, I just felt like I was in it because it'd be too much. Like, But it was just a, delicious. Like it, 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 you remember something, you know, like I had a, a feeling of what this episode was and boy, it just punched me in the gut. Like watching it again, it was like, this is just as good as when I first saw it. Like I am, I know what's happening. I'm still like, oh my God, you got to face the boy. This is scary. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) And this was where it reminded me too of the tension of like Hunt for Red October or, uh, you know, Wrath of Khan, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But like how it feels like there is a certain momentum with this episode. And I think it's a combination of the score as well as direction of Cliff Bowl of just trying to get like the stakes are just so high right now. And they feel believable. They feel they're not it's not an artificial stakes are high it's like oh shit no this is actually we're we're the only thing that's in the way of this implacable enemy that's coming towards us and they just have to distract it to try to get more of the fleet time to assemble and they're that's what they do they vow to do that so they all go to their battle stations everybody's in a uh, a situation of battle readiness they're on their way warp nine to this system that means they mean it right Mm -hmm. that means someone's not just like sick Right. <laughs> it's it's not just one civilization at stake. It's all of them. And then they're like, well, we don't know what we can do. We got a couple of tricks up our sleeves. We have no idea how it's going to work. We're going to modulate some shields and change the frequencies <laughs> to whatever it is, Kenneth, uh, and we'll figure it out. Um, and then they have that great moment of, wait, we're, we're having our intercept course. They set an intercept course to us and they're traveling at 9.3. We're going to see them very soon and it's that it's a a great act break of like put it on screen there's the ship we have engaged the borg and it's this great great moment he turns back to face his crew with the 
cube behind him. Come on. Nice. And as we know, 9.3 speeds, those are getting rid of Luxana Troy speeds. That's, that's, <laughs> you saved that for the gravest of emergencies. <laughs> yes. This is when we find out that the Borg have a special interest in the Enterprise and Captain Picard, especially. They even know his phone number. They know right his phone number. They're hailing him by name. They're like, yo, what up, Picard? And he's like, on screen? And we get this great shot. I love, this is my favorite interpretation of the Borg where they don't have an individual speaking for them. Obviously, we're about to see one of those. But like, it's this disembodied robot voice that's speaking with a visual of the interior of their ship. That's fucking weird Lobo, and creepy. nuclear war. Right? <laughs> it's the Whopper in control. They try to find out if this is the exact ship that they encountered at J-25 back in Q-Who. They don't know for certain, but it's got the exact specifications. So that would seem to indicate yes. <laughs> and then this is where the real battle shows up. There's a tractor beam. The shields block it. Then they try to fire with phasers. They do some blowing up, but not enough blowing up. And they try to do that cutting beam thing, which also in QHU is where like, they're cutting us up like sliced ham. It's happening again. The engineering. We lost a lot of good men down in engineering. Yeah. yeah they... Well, don't forget, Jordy gets to do a tuck and roll yes, under a does. door. Oh, it's the best. Those are so good. After he waits, he's like, <laughs> yes. he got that great position. And you could tell he was, the actor was getting ready for a roll, a shoulder roll. He was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cued himself up. But I love that people died. I mean, not love that they. Wow, Jimmy. Wow. It's, uh... There's our stinger. Get it, Greg. <laughs> Use that at the beginning. It puts us even more stakes. Like, this is a real bad guy. They're expendable crew members, right? They all had yellow <laughs> shirts on. You know, you got to have lives lost for you to invest. Like, this is for real. Don't make Jimmy mourn unnecessarily. <laughs> That's right. Stop it. I only I... have a certain amount of tears. <laughs> <laughs> I do think some of those people may have died in engineering because that door comes down and it seals on top of carpet? Question mark? <laughs> and then it just becomes a spaghetti strainer of human flesh. <laughs> Death by dust mites. I mean, I don't know much about physics, but you can't really... <laughs> create a seal on a fabric i've tried picard does set a course wesley crusher is like at the helm he's doing everything great here they they, they jettison away they try to go as far as they can go uh and then they end up going to a nebula uh, the paulson yeah. nebula as uh, you will as you will just go hide right of course this harkens back to star trek 2 wrath of khan that Famously took place in the, uh, I don't remember the name of the nebula, but it was a great nebula. Everyone's favorite nebula. They actually reused Bermuda shots. Bermuda Triangle Nebula. That one. They reused shots from Star Trek II to make this Paulson Nebula. Mm -hmm. I think they colorized it a little bit different, so it wasn't quite so obvious. But I love that they did that. And then all, on all this fighting, too, they actually reshot images of the Enterprise. So that almost every single exterior shot that we've seen of the Enterprise was all done at the beginning of the series. And they used stock footage and just reversed it a couple of times. But for this one, they actually had to create new shots, which I found interesting. And it's on display here nice. as, they're, as they're going into the nebula and seeing how they can hopefully hide from the Borg as they make repairs and see if they can do any type of thing. Picard is happy, though, because if they're here looking for us, that means they're not going towards Starfleet and uh, giving them more time to regroup. There's a real, in my view, problem with the overall plan here, and that's that they have Geordi at a computer screen 
instead of in the observation deck looking out the window like they're supposed to in moments where his special visor might help. They're supposed to put him by the big window so he can look out for the board that are following. And they missed the chance, and I find it unforgivable. <laughs> they're not even really using his superpowers effectively. No, no. The captain's not in the conversation in the observation lounge. It's the engineering team and Shelby and Riker trying to come up with plans of what they can potentially do while they're hiding here. Shelby's got an idea. What if we separate the saucer section from the rest of the ship? We haven't done that in, oh, a season or two. <laughs> it's due. We've got a drinking game to hold up. And uh, Riker doesn't think that's a good idea, but I'll bring it in. And uh, Shelby's like, well, let me talk to the captain about it. He says, no, I, t I give him everything. Like, I'll, I'll, he'll know about it, sure. Like, it's not like I'm going to keep it from him. And then he goes to the uh, ready room and Shelby's already there given the pitch. She took the fast turbo lift. She's the worst. I love her. I love her. She's just awful. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I was going to tell you, Captain, but what do you think? And he's like, I agree with you, Riker. Maybe we shouldn't do it right now, but maybe we will later. Uh-uh-uh. He's playing both sides there, right? The captain, like, Riker would have definitely brought that to him. Like, here's the other option. Shelby thought we should do this. Picard would have been like, yeah, let's keep that on the back burner. It's a good idea. I think Picard should have just, he should have left it at, it was inappropriate for you to talk. And then when she left, when she left, then it's like, we're going to do the second idea, though, right? When things go sideways, because it's a, it's really good. There's no need to let her know that I'm on your side, too. I think he needs to play them both against each other, because ultimately they're both coming for his job. And he's starting to feel that. We we know that Papa Picard ate, ate the, the avuncular... Uh, not paying attention to politics guy that he would have us think. But then it all comes to a head in that turbo lift that doesn't apparently go to the battle bridge as Star Trek aficionados might have pointed out. But it gives us this great conversation between the two of them where they really have it out for the first time, right? Oh it really gosh. does feel like everything is putting their, putting their cards on the table here. And she says, you're in my way. Like, yeah. you're, you're trying to not take risks, but that's not... That's not me. That's not how I play. He says, you do an end run around me again, and I'll snap you back so hard you'll think you're a first-year cadet. Mm. I love I love this <laughs> argument between the two of them. And what does that mean? What do you think that means? I'll snap Especially since there's clearly only one first-year cadet at a time, so it should have been the right. first-year cadet. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is true. And I love also his mocking tone. She's like, you're in my way. And he's like, oh. <laughs> That's so bad for you, because <laughs> <laughs> well, and she says something to the effect of like you play it safe and sit sit in the big man shadow. Like she's firing on all cylinders and coming in right. really fucking hot in this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which again, I wonder, like, like are they? Greg, you were saying, and and maybe you guys can confirm this for me. Are they equally ranked? Like, is his only sort of claim that... Is the host. This is his ship, like right? Like, this is my host. Yeah, exactly. They're equally ranked, but he's in second command, so that means in that situation, he's higher ranked. So she Got has it. to follow rank under him because he's second in command. If anything happens to Picard, he immediately becomes the captain, acting captain, at least. Am I right in assuming that, Jimmy, the, the protocol is so deep that pretty much... At, at any time, there are two people in the in the army standing next to each other. They both know who's in charge. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's usually based by mission or in on the Navy. It's based by, by ship, as you're saying, right? So 
That makes sense, but she doesn't. She's not a sub, like um uh, uh subordinate subordinate, other than on this ship. Got it. And do you think they're just setting her up? Like, is the character they're really having this fun battle between the two, so that maybe in part two there comes a moment where the risk, her risk, doesn't pay off, and his, you know, more tempered approach proves to be the one that uh, right. is better. His brand new. Uh, Will yeah, Riker tempered approach. Brand right. <laughs> like, it feels like they're setting poor Shelby up as, you know, the writer's room. Like, ah, we got a show. I think Shelby's the foil. I mean, I think she is the only way that, yeah. that we can get the information about Riker's character. And I think it's actually more setting up part two of this, right? Where yeah. where Riker has to be like, I don't, I can't be Picard. I have to be me. But we'll, yeah. we'll get to and that what's next season. They're not making her a bad guy either. Mm-mm. Right. Like she's in no way a bad guy or doing anything like villainous at all. Reprehensible. No. Yeah. It's she's she's still a very good uh Starfleet officer. Which yeah, is fun. Where ambitious. you can see yeah. Where you can see that that foil without it being like an F this character. Right. right. You see well, both it's, sides. It's just interesting to see a woman at the top of her game who arguably has you know, like who has been doing the work, right? Like, like mm-hmm. Riker and the ship have had a practical experience, which you can't take away from. Like, that's huge. But in terms of like knowing her shit, like she knows her shit. Like she's done her research. She's done, you know, the traveling. She's done. Void caveat there though, Cake. Yeah, yeah. She has never seen the Borg or engaged with him, but she's the Starfleet Borg expert and everybody on this ship has actually engaged with the Borg. Shouldn't they be the ones you talk to first and consult wow, with them about what is it like and what should they do? Red tape. You're ignoring Jack Ryan altogether. The analyst is always right in U.S. mythology. Right? <laughs> Son of a bitch! <laughs> but then we get the great scene where Picard I really like this actually heightens up the, the, the tension so much seeing Picard walk through the ship and mm. see all the preparations that are going on the score again really does some good work here and then of course Guinan gets to have that moment with Picard about their conversation of this being a hopeless battle of course they're talking about earth history again with Nelson touring the the ship before Trafalgar and all this other stuff and the Romans seeing the Visigoths. They only have our history to really draw on, if you, if you notice. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it works really well by calling back those moments because you do really feel like, oh yeah, no, this, what are they going to do? We really, there's no solution here except for the people, except for the characters that we know and love. And they do this scene, um, I, I don't know if we've already seen it or if it's coming up, but they do this in the holodeck with Patrick Stewart playing Henry V walking through right right before the St. Crispin speech. Uh, and it's that same feel of walking through and seeing all your troops before you go off to war. Yeah, I didn't realize that was a callback, but it is. Yeah, it is similar in feel. I cheered when I saw Guinan. I was just like, yes, we got to get her yes. perspective on this. Like, because she's yeah. in some ways, the, weirdly enough, the everyman in this in this whole thing of like, you know, you're all dealing with the bigger problems. But for me, I just got to make sure people, you know, get fed and are happy. Well, not only that, but, you know, in talking to her, she doesn't give sort of the like, of course, you're going to win. It's the difference between mm. you're going to win and you're going to survive. Right. Right. She said, my people survived. We're scattered, but we're here. 
And she believes that, you know, even if they don't survive this initial, that that somehow they will survive. And I just thought that was a really interesting distinction between those two concepts. That humanity will survive. You're going to die. Right. But humanity might survive. And that's what you got to hope for. Yeah, that's great. I don't think it helps Picard, though. I, I think he's very much like, oh, shit. Are we really talking about like the end of humanity here? And maybe a few of us will survive. Like, I think it's actually, I think he was caught up in the battle stuff. And then that, I think that was a little bit more of a sobering. Yeah. The stakes are actually really high beyond just winning battles. Like this is eradication. There's bombing happening in this here nebula. The Borg have figured out how to try to flush them out. And they do, in fact, uh, try to get out of the nebula cloud as fast as they can. They're on impulse power until they get out of the cloud and then they go to warp. There's a bit of a chase. And then we see more and more fighting happening until they just straight up beam onto the bridge, these Borg. I love the green effect of their their beaming looking different than everyone else's beaming. That's really cool. We get some nice They've phase. trademarked it. I know. It's so... I, I don't do you know. see I, it throughout all Borg... Whatever season it is, whatever series, uh, they always are green. Even if they just showed up and became Borg moments ago, everything is green. It's uh, it's brilliant marketing from the Borg. You know, they're on <laughs> message. They're on brand. Always green. And not just green. It's like a very specific green. Yeah. It's got Borg that- green. Borg green. <laughs> Borg green. <laughs> they trademarked it. It's like Fenway Park. I remember being just like blown away the first time as they adapt that clear shield comes up. Mm-hmm. That was like the height of, you know, computer technology <laughs> in 1990. Yeah, that was up there with that movie Warlock. Like nothing, oh. nothing was better than the digital technology in that one at the time. <laughs> they totally stole that from David Lynch in Dune. Oh, Dune. 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 Oh, Dune. that shit was great. It's true. Sir David Lynch. Some great moments with Worf shooting his phasers and they adapt fairly quickly, although he does take out one. And then Riker's like, they've adapted! And he rushes forward and then just gets pummeled. Boom. Thrown to the back. side. That's rough shit. Yes. And then before we know it, one beams in right next to Picard, shoots a little hypo spray in his neck. Green. Green hypo spray. Never a good sign. That little like collapse he does, for some reason, while he's being beamed out and taken, that like defeat felt really strong to me. Yeah, that's what they were afraid of. Like shit like that. They knew. It was like, these guys can get in and do whatever the hell they want. Uh, and it was palpable. You could feel it. Yeah. They were right. They were powerless. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't do anything to stop them. Riker has someone <laughs> try to be like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. But he's still a little dazed. He's actually like a little bit uh, dealing from that. And then he's got to take command right away. What did you guys think of him just barking orders and trying to do stuff right away? And then he's like, I'm going to go on the away team. And then it's Troy who's like, hate to do this to you, Will, but... Yeah. You're the captain now. You're trying too hard now, dude. Yeah, you can't do this. <laughs> Act like you've been here before. Right? But to his credit, he's like, in his mind, he's like, shit, you're right. I can't. Shelby, you go and you take your away team. She should have just played a video she had ready from one of the many <laughs> times he's did it to the car. He's like, uh, we can look at the screen real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so they are unable to beam uh, Picard back. This is where they realize that the Borg has set a course to Sector 001, which then, mm. of course, we're all like, what does that mean? Uh, 001. It's the first course. And then Riker says, Earth. 
Yeah. So Earth is the center of the Federation? Don't worry about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> just their maps, Jimmy. Certainly not no, in any other sense. <laughs> it's like the Prime Meridian. It's, it's you know, it's zero zero one. It's the first one. It's the first sector. It's not the best sector, <laughs> although it is. We get Picard on the Borg ship. I love seeing his perspective of what he's going through here. It's this like going into the enemy kind of feel. Turning green. This bodiless voice tells him your culture is meaningless you will be assimilated we got this great idea though what if since you guys like talking and having authority figures what if we turn you into one of us buddy you'll be our spokesperson for us you're the best suited for the job everybody loves you and that terror that picard has on his face john luke picard we feel it we feel it as the audience because you're like oh shit they're they're gonna assimilate him yeah because you can't be unassimilated as far as we know like once you get assimilated that's it <laughs> i heard it's futile futile they also do a great job of raising the stakes because we have 58 minutes until the warp core or the warp drive is going to give out so we're giving chase but there's a there's a limit to how much chase we can give if they go up to 9.7 we're fucked <laughs> right Away team does go off. It's Shelby, Wharf, Data, and Dr. Crusher. I actually like that Beverly is on this uh, team because she might have to, I assume, give uh, medical treatment to Picard. Mouth to mouth. Right? Or like the <laughs> fact that they're a biomechanical enemy, so she might be the only one who can help out with the biological. At first I was like, why is she going on here? But then I'm like, that when I thought about it a little bit more, it made sense. What did, what did you think, Kate? Uh, there's actually a reason that it was uh, Gates McFadden, and that is that Gates McFadden had said that she wanted to fire a phaser. And so uh, they made that happen. The The writer was like, you're going to you're going to shoot a phaser in this episode. Nice. So it was definitely like I, I, I love that there's a little backstory to that. I do, too. Right. And yeah, she's a member of Starfleet. She's had all the same training everybody else has. Right? right, and I, yeah. I love it because that would be me as the actor. I'd be like, "You guys, I want to shoot a phaser." <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Give me the gun. I want to. I want to do all the cool stuff. Can I get a lightsaber? Is that? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so they do the same thing where the Borg ignore them when they beam aboard. They, they don't aren't seen as a threat in any way. So frustrating. No uh, big dick energy. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to Jimmy. Just looking past me, dude. Yeah. <laughs> They're not able to get much of a read on where uh, he is, but then they see that there's these conduits that may be of use to them later on, perhaps later on in this episode. I like that Crusher's got the great line of like, maybe we think about it like mosquitoes. Like, we're, yeah, we're, we're an annoyance to them, but maybe that's enough to give them pause. She says, if we hit them somewhere tender, they may scratch. I liked that. That's a good line. Yeah. <laughs> They also find the communicator in a uniform of Picard, which is also That's just not good. No, That's not good. A big drawer for such yeah. a for a small volume of a thing. But they folded it nicely, though. I thought. Well, they're they're neat. You know, they're about efficiency. <laughs> the admiral says that they're going to make their stand at Wolf Three Fifty Nine. This is where the feder uh the entire as many of the fleet that could make it is gonna is gonna try to stop this board cube from getting farther and closer into earth but they still haven't heard anything from the away team as far as picard goes but hansen says that he's a tough old bird that picard 
maybe he'll pull through, but also he was a great man and we should just let him go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he'll get back if he's going to get back. Like if he wants it, 9.3 isn't anything to Picard. So let's all just turn around. Deal. I, I'm out of dialogue. I, I finished what was in my head. Uh, and I read the script and it got to dot, dot, dot. And I forgot to keep going. <laughs> Can we stop it there? Can we just stop it there? So they know that the deflector weapon that they've been thinking about for the last little bit here, trying to use some modulations of the techno babble in order to shoot, not from their phaser banks, but from the deflector ray. They're, they're, they've got this one little ace in the hole, maybe that could work out. The away team, they're just like, we have to do it. If we're going to do it now, we've got 20 minutes left before the warp engines give out. We got to make our stand. So they start shooting the conduits. All of the Borg start waking up and going after them. And there's a lot of phaser fire. I like that they're kind of pinned in in this like four-way intersection. And they're just having more and more Borg come out them. Uh, I also like the idea too that they don't adapt right away. Like these are not the attack drones. These are just the regular Borg drones. <laughs> For some reason that made sense that it took them a little bit longer or like they weren't they didn't have the programming necessary to adapt to get the shields up early or at least that's where my brain went with it what did you guys think about this firefight it's fun all of the various iterations of fighting against the borg are fun because invariably you can't do it the same way twice so they find some little twist that's different than the last time and it started even this early just watching this particular fight like Kate says, this is the episode that I think of when I think of Star Trek. Like, this is the beginning of it. The visuals, too. So this particular scene has everything that I want from a Star Trek scene. Yeah, well, they all get to fire. They all get the guys falling down. And somehow the fact that they just keep coming is terrifying, <laughs> right? Like, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. Like they're just There's just more of them, and they're going to be overwhelmed. And then in the distance, it's Crusher who sees... Well, that's a bald head. I recognize that bald head anywhere. Kind of greenish. And we, as the audience, don't see it at first. I think... She kind of sees it, and then he does his weird like body turn to the right, and we realize that it is, in fact, Jean-Luc Picard with some modifications on him. They keep firing. They keep shooting. Worf tries to get him. Doesn't work, and they beam out of there. Got to. They got to. It's scary, dude. It's scary so how fast they work. Like they get that shit in your eye, new arm, everything. You're gone in minutes. Right. The Borg take you over. It's not a slow process. Like almost instantaneous, it seems. They can turn you into a drone. And yeah, this is maybe one of the top three, if not the top moment in TNG history. Like if you know TNG, you know that scene where he turns around. You're like, oh, mm -hmm. fuck. The cutest of Borg. I mean, it's... I don't think any of us thought it was going to happen so fast. Like, we all kind of knew that was the threat implied, but you're right. Like, the fact that it happened while they were working on this other thing. And let's just uh, give the Borg some props, man. These people <laughs> are a hive mind. They don't have names. And the first time they name somebody, they knock it out of the park. <laughs> the cutest of Borg? That's baller. That's a yeah. great name, especially for the first time you ever named somebody. They go with John. <laughs> Some simple shit like Lacutus. Well done, Borg. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. It's got some mouthpiece vibes. It's got some uh, some Roman vibes to it. Yeah, it's it's well played. Yeah. It is actually Latin. Uh, so I think it means he who speaks. <laughs> mm, he there does. You go. Yes. Mouthpiece so, vibes. 
It's a bit on the nose. It's a bit on the nose now that I know what it means. Still, <laughs> still ball. But that's what they would do. That's what the Borg would do. They would call it being like the guy who talks. Yeah, yeah. right? He's the, he's the talker talks. guy. That's what they said Everybody they were going to make him. Everybody speaks Latin, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is where the pretentiousness of Jean-Luc Picard, <laughs> the fact that he's such like a Shakespeare file and like a historian, this is where it works against them. Everybody knows Latin because this guy knows nerd. it. Nerd. <laughs> peak nerd. So the away team comes back. They're frustrated. They weren't able to rescue Picard. They say they've got to talk to the Admiral right away. Riker says, belay that order. We don't have time. And then it's Worf has this great line. He's like, what? You weren't able to save him from the Borg? And they're like, he is Borg. And that is uh, when they hail. That's when the Borg hails the ship. They've only got a certain amount of time before they can do this one magic weapon that they are hoping can do anything. Magic missile! And this is the scene where we are introduced to Locutus of Borg, where he actually says, I am Locutus of Borg. We are Locutus. Oh, yes, we are all Locutus. I read about the red laser that was put on the side. They said they spent a lot more care with his makeup and prosthetics. They learned everything that they had by doing Q-Who and the downfalls of, of the Borg. So they kept the same design, but they felt like they learned how to make it better. And then the um, production designer was like, and then that thing that was a laser, it was just the cheap laser I bought like at the thing. And we just mounted it on the side, like literally just, just glued it on. And everybody loved it. Everyone said it was like this great effect, but he's like, it was like a $5 laser I got from the, the true value down the road. <laughs> and it works and it works, mm -hmm. I think because it, it's off the camera. Like you see the laser kind of pointing above the camera. And then the last kind of moment, Patrick Stewart tilts his head down and points the laser directly into the lens of the camera, which I don't think any of us has ever seen before. We've never seen that. And lasers were relatively new in the nineties, I guess, at least consumer grade ones. And so that effect just made it look even creepier, right? Laser pointers even weren't everyday things until the late nineties, because I think all of us remember being on stage the first time some fucking smart ass brought a laser pointed at the theater. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was cool. Uh, you know, we're only two or three years past a Val Kilmer movie about lasers, right? Peak of cool. Real genius. Yeah, right. Yeah. This particular just like speech, has it been ingrained in your brain forever? Yeah, yeah. It's one of the few things I remember. You know, we all know that I, I don't remember stuff. <laughs> anything <laughs> and this i do remember this is one of those stopping your tracks moments like it your captain looking at you as the enemy now is like not only do you have to contend with the borg who is going to fuck you up anyways now you have one of starfleet's best on their side <laughs> so all the stuff he knows about what this what starfleet can and can't do and all of his like now that's part of their collective knowledge is like Things are getting worse and worse. Like this is a really bad day, and yet another reason why there shouldn't be families on relationships. They don't mention that in this episode a lot, which I think they should. Kate, what what are your remembrances of this scene? Oh, I just remember being like, it, I mean, here's the thing: there was a time when when these cliffhangers would happen and you'd actually have to wait months, three months, four months, you know, like it, to get the answer. And it was before, you know, social media or before, you know, sort of, so it was, it was this questioning and is, is this the end of Picard? And is this, is Shelby going to take over? Like, I, I, I just remember being floored by this entire thing. And it's so iconic. It's just, it's a beautiful moment. 
And it is a oh, shit. What? Oh, I can't believe it. Because Riker, you know, with all of this that we're feeling, all of these emotions, he's like, I, I know this is my friend and this is my mentor. This is my captain. Fire. Because if we can, if we can blow this up, that's going to change everything. I will everything. be the captain of the Enterprise. I will be. Right. This, is, this whole episode <laughs> right, is about. Right, right, right. This is what I've been waiting for. But, and then here's that, that moment where they switch it up, where Shelby's the one who's like, we can still save them. There's something we could do. Let's not just be rash. And, you know, the guy who's been playing it safe the whole episode is the one who's like, no, we have to fire. It was like, that wasn't earned. That was totally set up by the writers. Uh, and it's a switch for the switch's sake. Can't make Jimmy happy. I don't know. I would argue that he is playing it safe, right? That by destroying the ship, that's the safest option. Going in there oh. willy nilly and trying to do a you know a suicide yeah. you know mission. He's a scaredy cat. What would that do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think I'm with you, Kate. Like I think this is the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the the many. Oh wow! They always say that but dropping never some Vulcan shit. Yeah, I mean it's I and mean, there's a lot of parallels to Star Trek Two here in this episode, uh, which I think is why it worked so well. So that's it. After he says fire, the score swells. We're all like, what the heck is going to happen? And then to be continued. It's the first to be continued ever. Motherfuckers. What do you mean to be continued? We knew it was a finale. We knew we had to wait three months before it would be resolved. Bitch. And it heightened everything over the next uh, uh, time as to what this series was going to be. I th- There were even rumors that this wouldn't, that this was the end of the series. Like there was times where we're like, I don't even know if this is going to continue. I think it's time for us to do our final thoughts on this episode. I'll go with you, Jimmy. Jimmy, what are your thoughts? 10. 10. I'm not even trying to come up with something clever with the 10. It's just a fucking 10. It's Howard. knock out of the park. Good. I'm not a writer, so I don't know what writers feel like when they create something like that. But to create the Borg, to be whoever came up with it, like they're one of the best bad guys who have ever been put on the big or small screen. I mean, it's like the Borg are amazing. They make the Klingons look like a handful of boogers. The the (laughs) Ferengi never even got up there. Like The Borg are the bad guys. They are amazing. And to have Picard become one of the bad guys, Locutus is right up there in the pantheon of shit you did right. TNG. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one is hands down my favorite episode we've seen so far uh, in my first perfect 10. Excellent. All right. Strong. Eric, you going to follow that up? Yeah, I'm going to give it nine. Don't talk about me like I'm not here. Because Kate dropped a perfect fucking Steel Magnolias <laughs> reference earlier in this episode that went too far un, unremarked upon. I thought this was a fantastic episode, of course. I don't have much more to say about it. It's it's brilliant. It's so much of what I think Star Trek is to me in terms of the vibe and in terms of the steps forward that it took in technology. Again, introduction of Locutus, getting more time inside a Borg ship, like all of those things are gifts. And then moving forward into season four, I'm very excited. Uh, we meet a lot more of my favorite uh, aliens coming up. We get to meet Cardassians soon. We get to go mm-hmm. through a bunch of really fun stuff in season four. Thanks, everybody, for a fun first three seasons. Mm-hmm. Kate, what do you think? I'm going to give it 10 fluctuating phaser frequencies. 
Uh, <laughs> mostly because it's fun to say. Yeah, it's just a fucking fantastic episode and has absolutely stayed drilled in my core memory, you know, since childhood. And, you know, it's one of those things where this was a show that I watched on my own. You know, I was raised in a Star Wars household and I, I, I still believe in those ways. But I was, you know, I was like, it was always me and Star Trek The Next Generation watching alone in the in the living room. And I remember how badly I wanted to talk to somebody after this episode. And it only took, what, 20 years before I got to <laughs> watch the episode and then get to, you know, fangirl all over it. Uh, it's just a great fucking episode. Well, I'm glad we got to give you that finally <laughs> decades later yeah this is a this is a 10 out of 10 for me it is a wonderful episode i have kind of opposite where i don't necessarily have a lot of positive feelings about my family uh, uh or or all of the members therein but i do have a, a really big memory of all of us all six of us watching this episode and being on the edge of our seats the entire time and having that to be continued show up with the what on all of us kind of like screaming and not knowing what was going to happen next it was a real you know shared experience i think with 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 my family and i that i that i won't forget and i had forgotten <laughs> Even though I said I won't forget, I'd forgotten the whole Shelby Riker subplot of it. Like I did not really, that's not the part that I take away from it, even though it is really the core of this. And going back and looking at it as a storyteller now, just being like, what a great job that was to infuse a new character that was so believable and so rich, but then also per, you know provided the perfect foil for Riker, who is certainly a fan favorite, even though he's shifted a bunch, as we've said, but like just... Yeah, we could put ourselves in him as as the audience and really feel the loss of Picard and in turning into Locutus and becoming uh, that so much more. And so I, I appreciate it both for the nostalgia, but then also for how well it executes on bringing us along through this through this plot. And uh, I can't wait to talk about part two with y'all when we start season four of Reengage. Yeah, boom, awesome. Thank you all. <laughs> I think all of our collective pants are wet, including Locutus of Borgs. If I were wearing any, they'd be wet. <laughs> we appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready 